If you would now turn with me, open the scriptures with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. As you turn to Nehemiah 2, we are looking at Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a difference maker to those who were distressed and broken in his world. And this pile of rubble right here in front of me, this reflects where you, we didn't make this pile, you made this pile. This reflects where you would want to make a difference in this world that God has placed you, where, where you would want to make a difference among those who are burned and broken in our world. And I want you to capture this this morning. Listen, it's not just that you can be a difference maker. It's this, God has made you to be a difference maker. That's why he redeemed you. That's why he's poured his spirit into you. Being a difference maker is not for a select few. It's not for like SEAL Team 6 of CFC. It's for every born again believer to make a difference among those who are broken in the world that God has placed them. So Memorial Day weekend, we have Jackie's uh, family with us for the weekend. She's one of six, so five siblings and their spouses at our house this weekend. I'm happy to be here. No, just teasing. They're watching. I was just teasing. We had uh, her sister's husband, Rod, had his birthday yesterday. And so we sat on the porch last evening before dinner, and we took time to share how he had been a difference maker in the family. And it was pretty powerful. Jackie's younger brother said, uh, I walk with Jesus. I've been born again because of your influence in our family. And Jackie uh, has said often and said again last evening that when she was a young teenager, she was headed in a bad direction. And her sister and her sister's husband, Rod, took her in as a teenager into their home. Summers, and then her entire senior year, she went and lived with them. And I don't know if you think much about that, but voluntarily invited a teenager with a bad attitude into their home. My wife, good looking, but bad attitude into into their home. And as we sat there and shared, you know why he did it? Because he said, God put it in my heart. You were headed in a direction, and you're going to be broken, and you were going to get burned, and God put it in my heart. So we look at Nehemiah. We go, he made a difference for thousands, tens of thousands, for a whole city, for a whole nation. But you can be a difference maker in one person's life or two people's life. You can be a difference maker in in your life family. And what we're going to look at this morning is this. Nehemiah had heard and he was broken. He fasted, he prayed, and God then opened the impossible door of giving him time, resources, and authority to be a difference maker. But with all those things, then listen, when God puts something in your heart, when God puts it there, 
How do you get started? How do you actually make a difference? As we go, I want you to continue to ask this question. What has God put in your heart? You may go, I'm not sure. Has he put something in my heart? Absolutely. I'm certain that as he has redeemed you, he has put into each individual's heart that which is on his heart, something unique he has put into your heart, whether it is the broken family or the special need family or the believer who's trapped in sin or the lonely widow or the lost person that's on your street or at your work or for the unreached or for those who have no access to a Bible like you have multiple ones in your life. That's just some samples of what is in the heart of folks in this body that's been placed there by God. What has God put in your heart? He intends you. He's made you to be a difference maker. So we pray, we fast, but how do we actually get started? All right, join me in verse 11, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah speaking. So I came to Jerusalem. That's no small deal. Almost a thousand miles away where he had been. Took him probably three months. He had prayed for four months. Then God had opened a door of opportunity. Now three months of travel at least. He's finally in Jerusalem. The place where he is seeking to be a difference maker as God has put it in his heart. I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out, again he says it, at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was no place for my mount to pass. Next week we'll see a map and see where all this all fits together. And so I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. I don't know about you, but that might be a little surprising to you. God had put it on his heart. He had been preparing for seven months, and he gets there. And what's he do? <laughs> he sneaks around in the dark when the king had given him officials and horsemen to make a big splash. This might surprise you, but if God has put something in your heart to be a difference maker, I encourage you, stay low. Go slow.
That's the example of Nehemiah. Stay low. In other words, what? You don't have to put on as if you are somebody. If God does something through you in a person's life, then you'll be a somebody that. But, but sometimes difference makers think they have to start as, as if I'm somebody. And here's what I'm going to do. That's not what Nehemiah does. He goes in. He stays low, out of sight, and he goes slow. What's he doing? What's he doing as he is walking around by night? Yeah. He's taking time to look. He's taking time to listen. He's taking time to learn. When God puts something in our heart, we don't have to be in a rush to just go do something. When God puts something on our heart, uh, let's be humble learners. Because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. What's Nehemiah doing? He's going and saying, all I've heard, all I know is what I have heard. I want to see for myself. How am I going to offer a solution to something, a problem that I've never actually seen? And, and, and there's something else that happens when we take time to look, to see for ourselves. We begin to feel something ourselves. I, I know what it's like to hear of a hard situation and then go see it for myself and experience it for myself. And now I can feel what those who are in the hard situation can feel. See, what, what he is doing is he is removing the obstacles of ignorance and arrogance. People who will go, who are you to just show up and say, here's what we need to do? You don't even know. He takes time to say, I do know. I've looked. I've listened. I've seen it. For myself. Now, what's that mean if, if you're going, well, okay, so what's that mean for the, the lost that live on my street? Tell you what that means. That means when you have that in your heart from God, the, the lost that are at work or on your street, go with your ears first, not your mouth. See, sometimes we think, man, they need help. I need to go tell them. And what you need is to go, what? Listen and look and learn. They may look broken and burned on the outside, and they, it may be very clear they are broken and burned. But you ought to go listen and hear their story. As followers of Jesus Sometimes we are too quick to offer answers when we have not taken the time to actually hear and see and feel the real problem, the hurt, the pain. If God has put the lonely on your heart, take some time to, to go slow stay low. They don't need champions riding into their lives. They need people who will 
patiently be with them, sit with them, not show up to just immediately fix them. So I know that might seem, especially for you type A's, like go slow. Oh, come on. We got to get it done. We got to make it happen. I agree. After we've looked, listened, and learned. You know what? If go slow means to you, oh, then I never go, then you misheard. (laughs) Nehemiah ends up making a massive difference, but he is not impatient. Here's the ultimate example. Jesus Christ is the greatest difference maker that's ever walked the planet. Yes or no? Did he go slow and stay low? Yeah. It was why so many people struggle with him. Because he showed up in an out-of-the-way place as a baby. I mean, what baby's going to make a difference? Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of stay low, go slow. 30 years. Are we ever going to like make a difference? Yes. Remember this. We serve an eternal God. And he's not like, it's been 24 hours. What have you done? Now, what did I say? If go slow means never go, then you missed it. Just don't be impatient. Take the time to look, listen, and learn. Then, this is what Nehemiah does, verse 17. After going out by night, looking and learning, then I said to them, you see the bad situation that, next word, we. See, he made himself part of it. He didn't just show himself and said, you guys are in a bad situation. Let me fix it for you. You see the bad situation that we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burn by fire. After looking, listening, learning, he, he, when it's time to mobilize, he clarifies the problem. Now, that may seem obvious. Everybody knew the gates are burned, the walls are broken. Of course, that's the problem. No, you're thinking way too narrow. Put yourself in the situation. Were there other problems going on in Jerusalem? Corrupt officials, abuse of power, poverty, injustice. It was all going on. And sometimes, because it's all broken, nothing ever gets fixed. And he says, here's the problem we need to address. Walls are broken. Gates are burned. He defines the problem Excuse me, he clarifies the problem and then he says, Come, let us, in other words, hey, you guys are in a bad spot. You you guys need to do something. (laughs) We are in a bad spot. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He defines the solution build the wall. Build the wall.
reach the unreached, help the orphan, bless the neighbor. See, when we talk about bless, what are we doing? We've defined the problem. We've clarified the solution. We bless. We begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. We serve. And we share. Define the so just, just build the wall. Now, any sense of what that would have really involved? <laughs> be prepared, at least, well, in my mind, be prepared to be blown away. To, to hey, let's go rebuild the wall was not a, an afternoon project. The wall that went around Jerusalem that needed repair was two and a half miles long. Whoo! Wait, 39 feet high. It's not your six-foot privacy fence that you're like, uh, I don't want to take time to fix that sucker. <laughs> 39 feet high and, watch, eight, a little bit over, eight feet wide. What? Two and a half miles long, 39 feet high, eight feet wide. Let's, let's rebuild the wall. Tony was sitting here Thursday night and he goes, that's four million cubic feet. So I upped him. That's 73,000 pickup trucks of rubble. You're looking at about a half a pickup truck of rubble between here and over in north. It's an impossible solution. Which is why, what? It hadn't happened. And I want, listen please, very carefully right now. Remember, the Spirit of God does not live in you to make the hard easier. The Spirit of God lives in you to make the impossible possible. That's why you've been redeemed. Not to make life easier, but so that, that which is impossible. I mean, we can look at the unreached and go, that's impossible. Which is exactly why as a church we have said, hey, what we're doing, the mission's like going, mm, I don't know. In four years, you are asking the Lord to use this church through the infusion of people and capital and the gospel to, to take an unreached people group to reach in four years? Yeah, that's exactly what we're asking of the Lord. That's impossible, precisely. Lord willing, four years from now we'll be going. The Lord has allowed us to reach this people group. Here's another people group. If what God has put in your heart seems impossible, don't shrink back. That's why the all-powerful sovereign one has given you his spirit. So there's the problem, there's the solution. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will, no, we will, we will no longer be a reproach. It's not about, man, this city looks like a dump. We got to clean up the city. 
Our wall is just not very, we need new walls. We need better gates. We got to paint this place. It's not a remodeling project. What, what is driving the rebuilding of the wall? We've talked about it. What's driving it? People. When it's time to mobilize, we see the problem, we define the solution, and we champion the benefits to people. To people. See, it's not like, oh, we need to build a house here in Jacksonville. But when you hear, but to build a house that would serve those who have been trafficked, that they could have a safe place to be restored and healed. Now that's not a house, that's people. About a month ago now, uh, an individual sent me a, a video about a work going up in, on in New York City, city of, of tutoring second graders in reading. And I honestly, when it first started, I was like, nah, nah, second graders reading, come on, we got a world to change. And then they charted out that when a second grader doesn't learn to read, what education becomes for them. And because they can't read, then they can't stay, they just can't do school. And so what do they do? What do they do? They drop out. And because they drop out, what do they do? So many turn to crime because that's the only way to survive. And because of the crime, families are broken, dads are absent. And suddenly I went, I would have never connected tutoring second graders to read with healing broken families. And by the end of that video, I was like, that needs to happen in Jacksonville. Would have never Never, ever thought that would be awesome to teach second graders to read. But watch. Difference makers change the trajectory of people's lives. It's not about structures or organizations. It's about changing the trajectory of people's lives. In 1997, my brother was selling real estate up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and going on short-term mission trips to Ukraine. And he began to see that, that they liked the help, but they were never making any progress. So he, he stumbled by his own admission on this whole concept of microfinance, of helping the poorest of the poor break the cycle of poverty by a hand up instead of a hand out. God put it in his heart. And though a bunch of failures along the way, just this past week, they celebrated 25 years of Hope International and 2.2 million of the poorest of the poor have been given an opportunity to break the cycle of poverty through a hand up. 2.2 million people because God put it in the heart of a guy who didn't have a college education and didn't know the first thing about microfinance. Impossible. 
precisely. See, the bigger the brokenness that's in your heart, the bigger that what God has put in your heart this morning that you're wrestling with, the better. Because if it's small and manageable and you picked it because you can pull it off, who needs the Lord in that? Ask yourself, Lord, what have you put in my heart that would change the, direct, the trajectory of people's lives? And it doesn't have to be 2.2 million. Jeff didn't start it because he was like, I could help millions of people. He started it because he said, we could, help, we could actually help this church as opposed to keeping them dependent upon us. And then the Lord caused it to flourish. So watch what Nehemiah does after he says, here's the problem. We gotta rebuild the wall so that we remove the reproach. That'd be impossible. So I told them, verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. What's he doing? He's telling them, I agree, it's absolutely impossible. But God, but God has already done this. God has already opened this way. You gotta see this. I, I know, it seems, who could, we can't do this, but, but a king, the greatest king on the planet, asked his cupbearer, hey, what's making you sad and how can I help? The king asked the cupbearer how he could help. No king does that. And then right here is the letter. Right there is his signature. He said, you have authority to do what you... And check out this letter. It's, it's for all the timber we're going to need. That's straight from the king. God is working. God is going before us and doing the impossible. What does he put in your heart? And what are your God stories? That remind you, God is in the business of the impossible. God is in the business of changing the trajectory of people's lives through people who will say, I know it's impossible, but Lord, that's why you gave me your spirit. I've kept an email in my Bible for 20 years now because it's one of my favorite God stories. When I started as the youth pastor here in 89, there's a little kid in our youth group named Tim. And in high school, God put in his heart the unreached peoples of the world. He said, I looked at the Bible, the glory of God among all the nations, and I looked at a map, and it went, it didn't make sense. What could I do with my life other than giving it to going to the unreached. And then as he trained, the Lord put in his life a, a gal who had the same thing on her heart, Andrea. So Tim and Andrea Ullum, one of our commended missionaries, this is, this is how God worked in their life, putting it in their heart. 10 years of training, so lots longer than Nehemiah. 10 years of training, they're finally 
ready to leave Jacksonville and go to Indonesia to reach an unreached tribe. The first leg of their flight stops them in Dallas and they have mechanical problems and they get stuck there like you've been stuck for five hours in the airport in Dallas. And they're like, ah. Finally, they're ready to go. As they're going on a plane, a complete stranger walks up to Tim and says, hey, I've been watching you and I just wanted to give you this note. And Tim, ignoring every announcement that's been made in the airport, do not accept things from strangers, takes the note and puts it in his pocket thinking really nothing of it, gets to L.A., next leg, and while they're in L.A., they hear Indonesia, because of terrorist activity, is shut down to Americans. You cannot go any further. And he's just like, seriously, Lord? All this preparation, and we're the, and now they're not going to let us in? Standing in the airport, he pulls out the note from the complete stranger. And it says on it, I saw over you a cloud. And alternately, a hand. It didn't seem to be a cloud of oppression as some might see it, but rather the hand of the Lord for protection. A sheltering until the appointed time. A waiting for the fullness of time. If these things bear witness with your spirit, let them encourage you to wait on God. That's crazy. Right? Now you're sitting there like, huh, yeah. Well, maybe that sort of stuff happens to you every day. It doesn't to me. <laughs> but I've kept that as a reminder. Because I loved him and Andrea, and I know that there's been plenty of times that the work has been so hard, and it's been my privilege to pull out and say, hey, there was a word of the Lord given to you from a stranger. Wait on God. And it's been hard because people have not been responsive. And I've simply pulled out the email and said, wait on God. And right now, it's hard. Wait on God. Some of you are thinking, you've, you've read that email to us in the past. That's exactly right. And get ready. I'm going to read it to you again lots of times. Because it's a, it's a God story. And we all need, if we're going to be the difference makers God has made us to be, and step into the impossible. And we're not a select few. If we're going to be who God has made us to be, we're all going to need our God stories. God gave me a story for even being on this staff, joining in 1989. God gave this church a story as we ended up being able to have the property from here to the gate station. Not because of buildings, but because of what? People. We, change, we train children where there used to be a porn shop. We do counseling, counseling where they simply used to sell real estate. Our junior high meets where a cult used to meet. See, it's not just, it's not buildings, it's what? It's people. And God is in the business of transforming people.
And we need to remember the stories. Those, those letters were not only precious because they got him timber and got him through, they were precious because they had the hand of the Lord on them. That's why he said it. God did this. Oh, no, no, that's the king's name. God did that. This is a stranger. God did that. We all need the God stories. So he tells them, and I love it. If you think, I don't know, you think you're making too big a deal. He tells them his God stories. And they said, let's build, right? Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. They agreed, we have a problem. And they agreed, that's an impossible solution. But we have a miracle-working, impossible, overcoming God. Let's build. And so then my favorite verse, verse 19. Then they finished the wall with joy and gladness. And no one was able to oppose them because the good hand of the Lord was with them. Except that's not verse 19. I made that up. That's, <laughs> that's the Disney version. <laughs> this is the way Disney wraps up the story. But difference makers, get ready. Because it's pretty exciting to have God's stories and see God work. Difference makers, here's the real version. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? What's my simple point? When we seek to be who God has made us to be, difference makers, changing the trajectory of the lives of people that God has placed around us, whether it's down the street or across the globe, there will be people who do what? Mock and despise. There will be people who mock and despise. What do you do with that? Here's what Nehemiah did. I answered them, said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Mock all you want. This is whose work? This is the Lord's work. <laughs> Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You are on the out on this one. Hey, listen, whose work is it? And who did the building? The people did it. This is the beauty. Listen, you want to change the trajectory of people's lives for the special needs, for the orphan, for the broken home, for the widow? You want to change the trajectory? That's the Lord's work that you do. It's his work that you do. 
Nehemiah's response to the mocking and the despising. He says, oh, I believe God's going to keep his promise. He said there will be a remnant, and he said there will be a city rebuilt. He will give us success. Not because we want him, because he promised this is what would happen. Believe God. When people mock you, when people despise you, when people call you crazy, when people say, you're not going to eradicate poverty, I agree. (coughs) For everyone. But the Lord has made me and promised by his spirit that I am to be his instrument for more people finding more life in Jesus. Believe God to keep his promises and then remain faithful to do your part. What was their part? Build. Lord's work, build. What's God put in your heart? Gaining clarity there, friends, will give you courage. What has God put in your heart? Don't don't shrink in and make it manageable. Whose work is it? (laughs) It's his work. Who will do it? I hope you will. So don't shrink it. Allow it to be god Sized. It may be your children. It may be your neighbor. It may be the widows that's catty corner from you. It may be it may be the co-workers around you who just don't believe in Jesus. It may be that there are people on this planet who do not have access to a Bible like you have unlimited access. It may be that that because people can't read, they can't thrive. What has God put in your heart? his work and he does it through us so I want to invite you to bow with me just for a quiet moment here just give you an opportunity to say to the Lord Lord I'm not going to shrink back because it's hard or because people mock or because it's too big going to believe. Believe that you have given me your spirit to make the impossible possible. And therefore, Lord, (laughs) I'm going to work knowing it's your work. I'm going to work knowing it's your work. Did you tell him that there in the quietness of your seat? I'm going to work knowing it's your work.
Lord, would you use this church to change the trajectory of many people's lives to the praise of your glory. Let's stand and declare the battle belongs to the Lord. that needs to happen, Lord. We know it's your work and you're going to use us to do that. So we offer ourselves to you to be your hands, to be your feet, that we will do, uh, make what is on your heart happen. So we know we do that by your empowerment alone. So Lord, thank you for that. Continue to work in our hearts to align it with yours. We want to love what you love, hate what you hate, and do what you tell us to do. In your name we pray. Amen. If we can pray for you, Individually, we have men and women after each service. It'd be their privilege to pray with you. Um, it's just between each auditorium. Hope you guys have a great, uh, great long weekend, and we'll see you next time. God bless.